0: I've entitled The Morning's Message this uh, Easter Sunday, 2018, Morning, Afternoon, and Evening. And uh, that will explain itself as we make our way uh, through our study this morning. But let's go back and read our text from John 20, verses 1-10. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to that other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter therefore went out, and another disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first, And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. But then Simon Peter came, followed him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, and then the disciples went again away again to their own home. Henry Morris, the great defender of creation, states that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Jesus is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. Quote, unquote, from Henry Morris. Another quote from John Scott. He says, It's fitting that a supernatural person should enter and leave the earth in a supernatural way. This is a fact, what the New New Testament teaches and the church believes. His birth was natural But his conception was supernatural. His death was natural. And his resurrection was supernatural. John Scott. Now, I grew up going to church. Went every Sunday until I didn't have to any longer. And then when I didn't have to go anymore, I didn't go anymore. And uh, basically lived everything that the world had to offer. And um, came up empty. And through a series of circumstances and divine appointments, and there were a lot of divine appointments Um, I ran into true Christians. I could see it on them. And um, I was quite frankly jealous that what I was, the empty spot inside of me that I couldn't fill, they seemed to be bubbling over with some sort of satisfaction and peace. And um, long story short, um, 1970, watching Billy Graham, who just went to be with the Lord this year, man, 100 years old, Almost as old as Dave Roth. (laughs) He's going to be so sorry he said that later. (laughs) And all of a sudden, Christianity was not a religion to me anymore. Matter of fact, I've grown to tell people I hate religion. Because it keeps people from coming knowing Jesus. And for those of you, I've told this story before. But I remember my first... um, Easter as a, as a Christian. And Jesus was real. And I remember it was Easter morning, and I got up, and I was living in Oshkosh, and I walked down to Menominee Park, and I was watching the sunrise for the first time on Easter as a Christian. And um, the Lord was there in a special way, and I thought, oh, this is just wonderful. And all of a sudden, I heard angels begin to sing. And I, I, all I could think of is this is what it's like being a Christian that on Easter you can hear angels singing. And I, they were singing, it sounded like somewhere behind me. And I turned around and there was a the First Baptist Church choir singing. <laughs> okay, so I was figuring things out in the, in the early part of being a Christian. But it's a true story. Between Good Friday, we were here just a couple days ago, and the crucifixion and now the glorious resurrection, um, I'd like to take you in between as we started our study this morning. So what happened on Friday when Jesus died on the cross, and his last words were, it's finished, it's done, paid in full. The reason Jesus came was for my and your sins. But then we're told, he had a conversation with um, one of the men who was on the, the cross with him, a thief. And watching Jesus interact, forgiving those who were crucifying, speaking to the Father, he became persuaded as a thief that Jesus really was God. And so before he died, he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And the Lord looked at him and says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, a lot of people say, how can that be? If Jesus is going to be, as it says, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, how could he be in heaven or paradise that day? And the answer to that question is, paradise is not heaven. In Ephesians 4, verse 8, I'll just read it. You don't have to turn to this one. It tells us that when he... Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. He led captivity captive. In other words, some people um, were set free. And then verse 9 says, Now this he ascended, what does it mean that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So the question arises, what and why did Jesus go to the center of the earth? Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. This is not a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. One of the rules of interpreting parables is you can't have a proper name. And we have a proper name in Lazarus. In verse 19... We read there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, just desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell down from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that he who wants to pass from here cannot, nor can those from here pass on to the other side. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Paradise is not heaven. The other name for it is Abraham's bosom. They couldn't go to heaven yet because Jesus had not yet died on the cross. But the very first act that he does when he dies on a cross and says, it is finished, before he ascended, he descended. And now we have all these Old Testament saints. It's Abraham who's there. There's David who's there. and Those who died in faith from the Old Testament couldn't go to heaven. Um, Hebrews tells us, Uh, They long for that place. But what happened, uh, according to Isaiah 61, verse 1, I'll quote that. Jesus said, uh, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. But Jesus actually speaks this to his home church, uh, synagogue in Nazareth. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal up the broken but also to proclaim liberty to those who are in captive. And he will open the prison doors to those who are bound. When Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, this place called paradise, uh, he allowed that chamber to be emptied. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27 at this point, and I want to show you what happened. He was there for three days. We know that Abraham's bosom no longer exists. We also know that the rich man is still there. And realizing his situation, he asks to be comforted in his torment, and he couldn't be. He says you can't pass between these two places. So for the first time, he probably didn't believe in hell. But for the first time, he's there. And the reality sets in that he's going to be there forever and ever and ever. And maybe for the first time, he thought of a family member who doesn't believe. So he asked Abraham to send Lazarus if he'd allow Lazarus to rise from the dead and go witness to his family who's not saved. And Abraham says, no. He says they have the scriptures, they have the Bible. If they don't believe the Bible, they're not going to believe if somebody's even risen from the dead. Now here's a kicker. There was a man who was dead for four days, whose name was Lazarus. And when he was risen from the dead, and everybody knew it, the scribes and the Pharisees said, we don't only have to kill Jesus, but we got to kill this other guy, Lazarus, too, because they're starting to follow Jesus by the multitudes, because of this resurrection. But there were others there who said, no, we got to kill him. So he didn't have this concern for a family member until he was in hell, realizing there was nothing he could do about it for all eternity, and maybe for the first time he had a thought about a family member. Can you get a message to them? Is there any way that they can not come to this place? Yeah, there's a way. This book. Believing this book. And so, Jesus emptied Abraham's bosom. It's no longer there, but the rich man's still there. And that was over 2,000 years ago. Now, in Matthew chapter 27, let me draw your attention to verse 51. We find, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. This is what we talked about on Friday, and Good Friday, when Jesus died. There was an earthquake, And the rocks were split. And now notice verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that means they died. The word death is never used for a Christian or a believer. Who had fallen asleep arose, and they came out of their graves. Now this is important. After his resurrection, you see, The Bible says that Jesus was the first fruit or the first one to come back with a resurrected body. But then he went into Hades and he set the captives free. And while he was there, that place no longer exists. Those people, I believe, are in heaven. And here's a verse that I stand on that says after his resurrection, all of a sudden people were coming out of their graves. Can you imagine? getting a knock on your door, talked about this on Friday, there's Aunt Sue, who's been dead for 20 years, (laughs) and appeared to them. And they didn't stay on earth. They also were taken into heaven. And we know now that, um, let's go, go back to our text, because that's what happened between Good Friday and Sunday morning. There were three days. What did he do during these three days? He descended, just like we read in Ephesians. Before he ascended, he descended. What did he do? He set the captives free. Is there evidence of that in the scriptures? Yes, Matthew 27, graves were opened, and they went to heaven. Now, when a person dies, as a believer, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's like Lazarus was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom and when a person dies today I think angels are involved there the soul and the spirit is taken and you're instantaneously with the Lord that's what second, second Corinthians 5 says we know that this tent this body when it's destroyed when it, we're out of it that we have a home not made with hands it's eternal in the heavens and I long for that uh, long for that body Let's go back to our text in John chapter 20. We read the first 10 verses. Remember, I entitled this morning, afternoon, and evening. So the rest of that morning, let's, we read the first 10 verses. Let's go to verse 11 through 18. Mary stays, and she stood outside the tomb weeping, and she wept and, and stooped down and looked into the tomb, and and she saw two angels in white, "'Sitting, one at the head and the other at his feet, where the body of Jesus was slain. "'And they said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' "'And she said to them, "'Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him.' "'And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, "'but didn't know that it was Jesus. "'And Jesus said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping, and whom are you seeking?' Now she thought he was the gardener that said to him, Sir, and then she says to the gardener, who she doesn't know as the Lord, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will go take him away. Mary had a love for Jesus um, like no love. She was demon-possessed. She was from the city of Magdal, which is at the bottom of my favorite mountain in Israel called Arbel, right down, you look straight down, there's there's Magdal, that's where Mary was, and she would have grown up along the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus walked that beach one day, and ran into a demon-possessed woman with seven spirits, and he set her free, and um, she followed him the rest of her life, because of her love for this one who had taken the torment away, and had set her free. And she doesn't know she's talking to Jesus at this time. The love of of Mary is just off the charts here. Just show me where he is, and I'll go get him. I'll carry him away. And then that voice, Jesus said to her, Mary. And that was a voice she recognized. Why and how the Lord is concealing his identity, we really don't know. It's going to happen shortly with Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him either. But that voice, when she heard that voice, she turned and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And she laid a bear hug on him, and he got away once, but he wasn't going to get away again. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brother and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene, it was a woman. The first person to see Jesus was Mary Magdalene, Frank Magdalene. And told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, end of morning. When we get to verse 18, it's the end of morning. When you look at verse 19, and it says, "In the evening. Well, my question is, well, what did he do during the rest of the day? And for that answer, we need to turn to Luke chapter 24. So in the morning, we know what happened with Mary Magdalene. In Luke chapter 24, picking it up in verse 13, we have a couple broken-hearted disciples going home. Oh, they had been followers of Jesus. But now they're going home. So in verse 13, this would be the afternoon. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with him. Oh, I'd love to have seen this. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So here's the Lord coming up, Cleopas, we don't know the other guy's name, and they're simply going home, and they're sad, and they're talking to each other, and the Lord just sort of comes alongside of them, and he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another? And uh, you're walking, and why are you guys so sad? I mean, you really look bummed. What's the problem? And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? And, and have you not known the things that have happened here these days? And Jesus plays dumb here. And he said, What things? And they said to him, Well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was, notice past tense, who was a prophet. He was mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they killed him. But we were hoping, again, past tense, we were hoping that it was he who was born to redeem Israel. We thought he was the Messiah, but they killed him. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things, and now there's rumors going around. A certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. Uh, when they did not find the body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So they're laying out the whole story of what happened in the morning, and how the Lord is walking with them in the afternoon. Why are you guys so sad? And he then says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And then it says, beginning at Moses and the prophets, he explained. Bounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning him. Oh, how I wish. We have more information. I would like to hear Jesus explain from the Old Testament where he is, what Bible study he gave to those guys. Because as he was teaching, it says, as they drew near the village where they were going, now it's afternoon, now it's getting closer to evening, he indicated that they would go farther But they constrained him in saying, no, 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 stay with us. It is getting towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them. Now traditionally, when you have a meal, you have the pita bread, and what you do is you have to break it to dip it in the sup. And he would have... I'm sure also probably prayed. But we read when he broke the bread, it says, then their eyes were opened. I think they were opened this way. I think Jesus took that bread and he broke it and he gave it to them like this. And when they saw that, their eyes were opened. And they went, whoa. And then Jesus disappears on them. (laughs) That's what happened. And, He took it and blessed it. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Wow. And then they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? That's what happens a lot of times in Bible studies. Um, you, You see things you've never seen before. There's a revelation. Your eyes are open. You go, wow, that's in the Bible. But to have Jesus explaining it, um, I'm going to take a liberty and I'm going to take a guess on one of the stories that he told them. But in order to do that, you need to turn to John chapter 3, first of all. So let's go back to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is probably the most famous gospel in chapter 3, probably the most famous chapter in the entire Bible. We have three musts. M-U-S-T, in the Gospel of John. He comes to Nicodemus at nighttime. This was the first Nick at night in history. Okay? So Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen. So he kind of sneaks out. He, he's, he's really curious about Jesus, but he doesn't want his buddies to know about it. So he goes at, in the nighttime, and he says, I know you're from God. Nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with them. And what the Lord told them, he said, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. He cut right to the chase. He wanted to know if Jesus was God, and he wanted to know God. And so the Lord cuts through all the small talk and gets to the point. There's three musts in John chapter 3. And he says, Nick, you need to be born again. And he didn't get it. How, do I, how does that happen? You go to mother's womb, you come out again. I'm an old man. He says, no, it's sort of like the wind when the spirit comes upon a person. You can see the evidence of the wind when it blows through a tree, but you can't see the wind. And he says, so it is, everybody that's born of the spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit. But when it blows upon you and comes in you, you see the effect that it has. Well, he's still not getting it. But he is a Pharisee, so he's going to know the Bible really, really well. So in verse 14, he explains it to him in another way about why he came. And he says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, and here's a second must, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Nicodemus would have understood exactly what he was talking about. Um, If you don't know the story, then you have no idea what Jesus just said here. But it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Well, let's go back and look at it. It's in Numbers chapter 21. I'll give you a moment to get there. The second must of John 3 is Jesus said, as a serpent, Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man also must be lifted up. He's connecting the two. So we read in verse 4. They're wandering in the wilderness. Uh, They've been delivered from Egypt. In verse 4, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there's no food and no water in our soul loaves, or we hate this worthless bread. This was the manna from heaven. They weren't content with what God was giving them to sustain them. And so, because of their grumbling, it says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents, in other words, poisonous ones, among the people, and he bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now, usually, um, when a person becomes a believer, it should be, you know, the Bible says it's the goodness of the Lord that leads a person to repentance. And we're supposed to understand how much God loves us. And just because of what he did, it should affect our heart. We should believe the gospel and, and be, become his. But unfortunately, probably nine out of ten times, a person has to hit rock, rock bottom. A tragedy has to take place. Sometimes it's said that you can't look up until you're all way completely down. And that's what happened to these people here. They were dying. They were definitely bit by poisonous snakes. And then they come to their senses, sort of like the prodigal. Ran away from home, grew up in the ways of the Lord, but he wanted to live in the world. So he does, spends all of his money on partying, and he ends up in a pig pen. And it was in the pig pen that he came to his senses. He said, this is crazy. I'm starving here. I'm going to go home and tell Dad I'm sorry. And maybe he'll let me work as a hired hand. Well, that's what happened to these people here. Verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We blew it. We've sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Will you please pray to the Lord for us, Moses, and take away the serpents? So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it will be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now I really believe this is one of the stories, as they're walking to Emmaus, that Jesus told Cleopas and his friends. And I believe he explained it to them. And when they, they when he, they. He explained it to them. That's when their hearts began to burn. Oh, I get it. There, we have a saying for every New Testament teaching. We have an Old Testament picture. In John 3, Jesus to Nicodemus says, Nicodemus, you remember the scriptures, how Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness. What happened? Well, there were two groups of people. There were groups of people that Moses went and said, okay, um, bronze, by the way, is um, a symbol of judgment. And, of course, a serpent is a symbol of sin. And now you have a bronze serpent. So you have a picture of sin being placed on a pole. On Good Friday, we talked about the crown of thorns and the significance of why was thorns put on Jesus' head. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, there wasn't thorns before, but after they sinned, there was thorns. It was a picture of God's judgment. So literally, the reason the crown of thorns were put on Jesus' head is a picture of the curse being placed right upon Jesus on the cross. So now we have uh, this serpent... On a pole, and Moses is telling the people, all you have to do is go look at it, and you'll be fine. And I'm, I think there's two thoughts, if I'm putting myself in, in the average crowd, saying, great, man, I'll do anything. And they go, and they look, and they live. And then there's a group of people who are going, how much of a fool do you think I am? I'm dying here. And you want me to go look at a pole with a serpent on it? That's the most craziest thing I've ever heard. And so it is with the gospel. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I think when he told that to Nicodemus, he was starting to get it. And I'm sure Cleopas got it because the Lord explained it to him and his buddy. So we have, in the afternoon a picture of what Jesus was doing. He was going after two guys that were given up and going home. And he sought them out. That's important. Some people say, well, I've been seeking and looking at it if I found Jesus. No, he's been seeking and looking and finding you. He's the hound of heaven. And when a person leaves, he tells a parable about the 99. He leaves the 99 and he goes looking for the one that went astray. That may be you this morning. Maybe you've gone astray. Know for certain he's not going to let you go easy. Oh, you can, you can exercise your free will and fight him in coming back to him, but don't think he's going to let it go easy. Hey, why are you guys so sad? He'll engage you in conversation, and he will set you up, and then he'll spring it on you, just like he did with Cleopas. For every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. Jesus dying on a cross is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have John 3.16, right next to John 3.14. It's only two verses away. That God loves the world so much, you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what the resurrection is all about. So this is what he did on Sunday afternoon. All right? Let's go back and see what he did during, back to John 20. We left off with verse 18. This is what happened in the morning. The first 18 verses of John 20 is Jesus appearing to Mary. The tomb is empty, and she tells the disciples, but then in verse 19, all of a sudden, it's evening. Well, now we know what he did in the afternoon. It was starting to get dark, so Cleopas said, come on in for supper. So that's what happened in the afternoon. Now we go back and we finish the day. That's why I've entitled this morning, afternoon, and evening. So now it's evening time. And we read, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, they were assembled, notice, for fear of the Jews. They were going after the followers of Jesus, and they're afraid, and they lock himself in a room. The door's locked, and all of a sudden, Jesus came and stood in their midst. He didn't open the door, he walked through the door. Okay? And he said to them, He's not, remember, they're scared to death. And all of a sudden, Jesus just appears to him, and he says, Boo! just making sure you're listening. No, they're already freaked out, right? No. What I, no if the Lord just, whoosh, there he is. You're going to be freaked out anyway. So he says, peace. No, just peace, guys. Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed the disciples his hands in his side. And then the disciples were glad when they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, Peace to you as the Father has sent me. I'm also going to send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God came upon them. And then he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sin of any, they are retained. I need to explain this verse. What it is saying let me tell you what it's not saying. In Roman Catholicism, they have what they, they call transubstantiation or the Eucharist. And only a priest can take the wafer, and only a priest can pray and hold it up, that it literally becomes the body and then the blood of Jesus Christ. He's a man who's a priest who has the authority, because he's a priest, to forgive your sins by you taking the Eucharist. That is not what this scripture means. What this scripture means is anybody that has received Christ, that has the Holy Spirit living in them, I can tell you as a beggar where to find bread. I know how my sins were forgiven. And I've been sent, as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sent the disciples. But he's also sending you, Fred, and me, Dwight. Debbie, you too. (laughs) And you have the authority... As a born-again Christian, to tell a person how their sins can be forgiven and how to lead them to Christ by explaining, I'm no different than you. I'm just as much a sinner, if not worse of a sinner than you are. And he forgave me because somebody gave me the gospel. That's what this verse means right here. You have the the ability to, to have a person's sins forgiven. How? By simply telling them the gospel. And saying, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he will really come in. I'll pray with you right now if you want me to. And that's how a person is led to Christ. So that's what this verse means in verse 23. But Thomas wasn't there, called Didymus. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciple therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand at his side, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not buying your story. I was there. I saw it happen. He's dead. And now what we have is a break from verse 25 to 26, just like there's a verse break between 18 and 19 from morning till evening. We have a break of eight days. So more than a week goes by, and in verse 26, uh, the disciples were gathered again, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, and the door being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Same thing that happened a week earlier. But this time, Thomas is there. So we find uh, that the Lord goes right to Thomas. He says, Thomas, come here. He says, I want you to reach your finger here and look at my hands. And I want you to reach your hands here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. You see, Jesus was still in the room when Thomas was there. You see, he heard word for word what Thomas said. I'm not going to believe, not unless I can do this, not unless I can do this. And the Lord wasn't allowing himself to be seen. Oh, but he was there. And so he calls out Thomas eight days later. He says, come on, Thomas, go ahead. Go ahead, put it here. And that's all Thomas needed. He was broken. And being broken, he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. And now he speaks to you and now he speaks to me. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen yet have Believed. That's you and I. No, I've never seen Jesus. I know his voice. And um, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I know his nature. I know his presence. I know what it means to hear his voice, but I've never seen him face to face. That's my hope, what I long for, that someday, face to face. He said, Blessed are you guys because. You're saved by faith. That's how a person gets saved. You have to have faith. Well, where does faith come from? Well, faith comes by what we're doing right now. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So a person can get saved by studying the Bible, just like Moses, um, Abraham said to the rich man. It's the scriptures that lead a person to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then... Um, we have the reason that uh, John is writing his gospel. There's seven, John's gospel is different. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic gospels. They're similar, they have genealogies. John is different. He writes around seven miracles, even though there were a whole lot more done, he only picked seven. And then he writes around seven I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. But there are seven times he says that, the I am's. And the point of the I am's is John, from the beginning, wants you to believe that Jesus is God. Now, the reason I showed that video clip this morning, between this year and next year, there is going to be more proof that you have the same capacity, scientifically speaking, that Jesus Christ had in the resurrection, and that you are just as equal to Jesus as Jesus is. And all of a sudden, now Jesus is not the only way. He, he's been diminished from the Creator and God, and you're no different than him. So how did we get this way? Well, this is where the ETs come in, and this is what we're getting set up for. And they're going to. This is all going to be declassified. There's programs almost nightly on the declassification of intelligent life and how you really got here. It wasn't um, um, Adam and Eve. You really believe the story of Adam and Eve? Yeah, I really do. As a matter of fact, you believe all of it from Genesis to Revelation, every word of it. Good place for an amen, gang. Amen. amen. And but here's here's the deal. It is becoming so persuasive out there with technology and who we really are and how we really got here. The lie is going to be so powerful that unless you know this book and you know it well, Jesus said the very elect could be deceived because of signs and wonders and explaining it away. If we're still here next Easter, I guarantee it'll be a lot different than than even this year. The main point is the last two verses of this. John says in Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have life. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 for our closing question. 1 Corinthians 15 Easter Sunday is all about the resurrection. Now, there were those in Corinth that did not believe in the resurrection. So in verse 12, Paul, making a defense for the resurrection, says this. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, well, then how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, well, then Christ is not risen. And then if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. In other words, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I'm wasting my time today, and you're wasting yours. Our preaching is in vain. Yes, and we are false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did if he did not raise him up if in fact the dead don't rise for if the dead do not rise and Christ is not risen and if Christ is not risen your faith is futile and you're still in your sins now there's a scary thought then also those who have fallen asleep or died well they're perished for in this life only we have hope in Christ we are all men most Pitiable. No, if we only have hope for the here and now, <laughs> eat, drink, and be merry, because there's nothing after this, if that's the case. Paul is saying, but that's not the case. Jesus is risen from the dead. Either that statement is true, or that statement is false. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. It all depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of Good Friday, we can look back and not be afraid. Because of Easter, you can look ahead and not be afraid. Because of the Ascension Day, you can look up and not be afraid. And as we're here this morning, I would like to close with a word of encouragement. But before I do, there may be those here watching live stream who've heard about Jesus, thought about his claims, but if you were like me, when I was being witnessed to by Christians, I was being honest with myself. I said, I, I could never be a Christian. I know myself too well. I know who I am. I want to encourage that person that had my mentality and thinking by going back to the thief on the cross What did this guy have going to him? Jesus could never forgive me. If you knew the lifestyle that I live and the things that I do and the things that I've done, there's no way. All right, how different are you from the thief on the cross? He never had any good works. He was a thief. He never said the sinner's prayer. He never got baptized. He never went to church. He had nothing going for him except looking at Jesus and said, Lord, will you remember me? That's the sinner's prayer. He said, Lord. The Lord sees your heart this morning, and he knows that you can be forgiven. And that's what Easter is all about, and the hope that we have. And therefore, as you look at the end of chapter 15 of Corinthians, we can say this as we go out as a word of encouragement to you on this Easter 2018 Verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Good place for an amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word that gives us this faith. Thank you for what you've done for us and proving that you are God by doing something that no man has ever done or could ever do, and that is come back from the grave and then ascend into heaven. Lord, we thank you for the hope. We thank you for your words of encouragement just to hang in there, to be steadfast, immovable, continuing in the work of the Lord knowing that our labor will not be in vain. As we stand before you someday, we want to hear, Lord, more than anything else, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray for any this morning, Lord, that have gotten sidetracked, or maybe backslidden, or maybe they've never accepted you. And I pray for that one this morning that it's is simply a prayer away, 18 inches from the head to the heart, that they understand, like every person who ever lived, that we've been bitten by sin and that it has infected all of mankind. And there's only one remedy for it, and that's looking to the one that was lifted up on the cross where you judged sin and forgave sin. And as a result, Lord, um, you've set us free. And we're so grateful. And we thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done. We give you the praise and the glory, in Jesus' name, amen.